Welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I am your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact, and our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we want to connect you with impactful, mission-driven leaders and ideas so that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. Today, I'm joined by a variety of guests, but first and foremost, I'm joined by my co-host, who's our delightful, wonderful Chief of Impact, Sarah Fanslau at Thrive Impact. Sarah, it is great to be here with you, as usual, on the show. So good to be here. Sarah, I want to kick it over to you right off the bat. You know, this is a, a, a four part, the fourth part in our four-part series around capacity building 2.0 around our Thrivers model that we've been doing. And I'm just curious, what are you most excited about for this particular episode? Yeah, I'm so excited. So we ended formally that program, you know, what, maybe six months ago now. And I'm really excited to be revisiting the change that it made and like looking at these two pieces of the group work and then the individual coaching and how those ended up coming together to support Jess, who's our amazing guest, and I'm so excited to see you again um, <laughs> in her leadership development. So one, I'm super excited to see Jess again. And two, I'm just excited to hear the learning that's taken place. Yeah. Well, it sounds like based upon some of our conversations before starting recording and before that there's been a lot of good learning, a lot of learning that's happened through this journey. So hey, let me introduce our guest real quick. Uh, first and foremost, I want to introduce uh, Laura Groen. She is uh, not only an executive coach and lead facilitator with an organization called Novus Global, she's also uh, uh, somebody I went through Leadership Denver with and really developed a great relationship. And Laura, I have thoroughly enjoyed being one, not only your friend, but also you have coached me and been a coach for me around helping me to explore uh, myself. And I'm grateful for who you are and the presence you bring as an executive coach. And you were really, I'll call it the mastermind around a lot of this executive coach. We came to you and we're like, hey, Laura, we want to have an executive coaching component of our Thriver program, but we don't do that at Thrive Impact. And, and so you really were a mastermind around this. And so I'm really grateful to have you here um, on the show and to hear what you've learned through this process. Well, thanks, Tucker. Um, I'm a huge fan of you and now of Thrive. It's uh, much needed in the nonprofit space. And so it's been a huge privilege to partner with you guys and provide support to your leaders. Awesome. Thank you, Laura. Uh, We also have Melissa Cadell, and she fiercely advocates for people and teams to get clear on their unique and expanding capacity, and especially creatives, entrepreneurs, and nonprofit leaders. And uh, Melissa, I I know I Laura brought you into this experience, and I, we just met today, which is cool. And yet, I've already heard the effects of your work. I've heard of uh, you know the the proof from the pudding, if you will, that that was able to come out. And so, Melissa, I'm really grateful for you being on here and, and sharing about your journey with Jess, who I'll introduce here in just a minute. Uh, but Melissa, thank you for being on the show and for sharing what you've been learning through this process. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am such a huge fan of the impact that Thrive has. And when Laura invited me into this space, I was like, what? A company that works to make leaders and nonprofits better? It was just mind blowing. So I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Melissa. And uh, Jess, we have Jess Verplank, who is the deputy director at uh, a wonderful nonprofit, a community-based nonprofit in Colorado Springs called Kids on Bikes. 
And Jess, you are a Colorado native, which is, of course, in Colorado, you know, kind of a thing, basically. <laughs> uh, you've been in a leadership role at Kids on Bikes for the past three years, and you really want to change the world and have a big impact on your community in Colorado Springs, which I appreciate because I grew up in Colorado Springs and I have a deep heart for that that city. Um, and Jess, I just love seeing you uh, bloom and blossom and come forth. Like so much of the best of who Jess is, I feel like I've been able to experience through this journey of all the workshops we've done. Um, and I can't wait. Like, and I we haven't actually seen you. Sarah was saying this earlier, right? We haven't actually seen you in a little bit. And I'm so jazzed to hear about uh, you know the ups and the downs and the learnings. And I know that Kids on Bikes is going through quite a bit. And so, Jess, I'm so glad to have you on the show and for us to really hear, especially from you as a nonprofit leader who's doing important work, um, just what your journey has been. And I think a lot of listeners are going to get a lot of value out of just hearing about your journey. So, Jess, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so very excited <laughs> to be yeah. here with you guys again, like you said, and um, all familiar faces and just very excited about this. <laughs> well, Jess, and I want to dig in right off the bat with you um, around, uh, first of all, just for context, you know, you work at a nonprofit, you are the deputy director, so you're kind of like the right-hand person for the executive director. And uh, tell us a little bit about not only your work at Kids on Bikes and why it's important, uh, but also give us a little context of what's been the state of where Kids on Bikes has been over this last year and why this has been important for you to embark on this journey through Thrivers and through the leadership, uh, through getting executive coaching. Absolutely. Um, I was brought to Thrivers originally about, you know, the capacity building that you guys were creating there. Um, Kids on Bikes has grown immensely in the past. We've been around since 2005, but it's been very slow growth. Um, in the past three to five years, we've grown very quickly. Um, and our ability to build capacity during this time has been pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. When, when your organization goes from a startup to you know, we're like teenagers right now. And so we're very much trying to figure out like, where do we belong and where does this go? And so um, the whole time I've been at Kids on Bikes, um, it's been a very quick, but feels like a very long three years. I've been working diligently on how to build capacity. How do we, with what we're given, right, as a nonprofit, how do we take what we have, have the right people in the right places, have um, the right programs and everything that we're trying to do, which is a big ask for um, just a couple people. I mean, we have a very small staff. So trying to figure right. that out as a leader, um, trying to figure out um, where I can best be placed in this organization to support it, to continue to grow in the best way possible. So um, we're making a big impact on our community. We're trying to get more kids on bikes. It's all about, you know, after 2020, it's about mental health and creating. Um, yeah. It's always been about, you know, the bike being a tool, but it's even more now than ever after um, COVID in 2020. So um, just big things happening. Lots of people in the community see what we're doing and we're um, we're thriving in that. So <laughs> mm, that's great, Jess. That's great. I, you know, I'm curious about this word capacity. It's an interesting word and capacity building is this weird kind of amorphous, like we need to build the capacity of our organizations. Like I'm, you know, we've been on trying to unpack that even ourselves of what do we even mean by that? 
you know, we know based on some of our, and I know you went through some of this training around conscious leadership, right? That the neuroscience says when demands exceed the resources available to us, it sends our brains into spirals of reactivity. And then many times it sends our organizations then into spirals of reactivity. And so how do we increase the resources available to us, which to me are capacity, but I'm curious when you're thinking about and have been processing through your own growth as an organization, uh, what have you been looking at thinking about when it comes to building capacity, maybe for you know, the organizational structure, maybe for how you work with each other as team, and maybe even just, again, which I think is a little bit of the focus of today of, of yourself, of building the capacity of yourself. Tell me a little bit about what, it, what does capacity building mean for you and what you've been thinking about around that? Um, the capacity building for kids on bikes and for me personally is trying to figure out how we can consciously create this environment of kids on bikes in the most positive form it can be. We show up when we say we're going to show up, we're going to do a really good job when we're there, but that's not the only thing. How can we continue to grow with what we have? A lot of the times when we were meeting with drivers, it was um, about being creative with our time and creative with who we have and what we do within our organization. So having a roadmap um, can be something really important, but also um, sitting down and thinking and having that quiet space. Cause a lot of the mm. times we just want to react and we want to go, go, go. And let's, I mean, we have all these people that want to partner with us and we have all these wonderful things that we can do, but also building capacity is sitting down and really thinking about how much time you actually do have. <laughs> and with that time being creative, but also very conscious about how we use our time because we can go out there and we could do every program possible, but we wouldn't be doing a good job and we're doing kids on bikes and our community a disservice. So I think capacity building is getting realistic with what you're able to do, mm. being realistic about how we can impact our community and taking baby steps forward. Um, you called it a skateboard analogy, you know, let's get everything on board and let's, let's move forward, but we need to stop and think how we're going to proceed in a very, um, I use the word conscious just because we're very careful about how we um, move forward, how we put ourselves out there, because we mm. want to make sure that we're that company that people want to go to. Mm. I'm curious, Melissa, coming to you as the kind of executive coach who had the pleasure of supporting Jess, how do you think about capacity building when you're working with nonprofit leaders? And how is that different, if at all, from working with leaders in other sectors? Curious. Well, the thing that I find interesting about working with nonprofit leaders is that there's a saying that Global Leadership Summit uses, and they say, everyone wins when the leader gets better. And so when you think about leaders that are in nonprofit spaces, think about the leaders getting better, and then the organizations they're running getting better, and then the impact on their communities getting better. So it's a multi-layered impact that you get to have when the leaders get better. One of the mm -hmm. things that I loved about what Jess did is that when I invited her into exploring her capacity, which is you know, really what executive coaching is, exploring what she was capable of, looking at mindsets that may be getting in the way of that. But you know, we talk about capacity building, but it's really an invitation into like, oh, let's explore what are you capable mm -hmm. of. And then when she was talking about, you know, getting clear about what are we going to do moving forward, we spent some time in coaching talking about what's aligned to your vision. Right? So it's not how much can you do, and it just leads right to burnout. And we spent some time talking about burnout. But we talked mm -hmm. about how does this align to your vision? 
And how do, how do we expand the capacity of your team when they understand their vision and you invite them into that visioning space, which is something that Jess did beautifully. And I think was one of the aha moments for her and through the coaching experience was exploring mm. her capacity and her team's capacity aligned to vision. Mm. Jess, I see you like ready to tell us something amazing. So. <laughs> um, Melissa brought up like a vision and um, I've always had like a, we've had a vision of where we want kids on bikes to go. And she's like, no, 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 no. What is your personal vision and what is the vision of each person on your team? So mm. I was like, wow, this is like, you're asking me to know what every single person on my team, what their vision is. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, that's, it, it seemed like a lot, right? Like, I didn't even know what my vision was um, at the time, but we sat back and she's like, ask your, you know, create your vision, which I created my vision. And then um, once I did that, she said, get your team's vision. And I'm like, okay, cool. But then what do I do with it? And listening to the podcast, talking with Melissa, everything that she um, provided me and gifted me with came to find out that I cannot give good feedback to my employees to create a better organization without knowing their vision. Because mm. I love how that they put it, but feedback is a gift. Feedback is a place where we can sit down and learn something instead of it being um, something that's very negative. Feedback is a gift. And so if I don't know my team's vision, if I don't know what one of my employees' vision is at Kids on Bikes, there's no way I can gift them with feedback because I'm kind of shooting from the hip. I have, you know, if an, if an employee tells me that they just want to make money and they like the vision, they like the organization, cool, but I need something a little bit deeper when it comes to your vision. I need to know, like, what are your goals are? Like my vision, I don't know if you would like me to read it or not, but yeah, <laughs> heck yeah we do. It's <laughs> life changing. Um, I put, I want to be a leader that inspires confidence and motivates those around me to succeed and feel empowered to courageously live out their vision daily. I want to successfully help kids on bikes continue to be a dynamic, entrepreneurial, and integrity-aligned business to sustain growth and continue to break down barriers in children's health and wellness. I want to change the world. Mm. Um, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And so then I had this vision and then I gave it to my team. I showed them my vision. This is what I'm looking for. What do you want to do? And so once people started sending me their vision on my team, I'm able to notice that one of my employees is acting, um, maybe not doing the right thing in their job. And so I can pull them aside and say, hey, um, I'm saying that I want to be a leader that inspires others. And you're not you're not bringing that to the table. You're not bringing your vision to the table. You're actually doing what's opposite. And so it's a time where you can gift them with feedback that feeds into their vision. And so it helps mm -hmm. create them go, wow, that was my vision. And how can we feed into this and make you um, a better person? I don't know if that's the right word, but <laughs> successful. <laughs> well, what I love too, is that the Jess invited her team to, to give her feedback around her vision. So she was, when she, which I thought was extremely bold of her. And she said that this is such a gift of love to me to have my team, once I share mm -hmm. my vision, that they can step into my, into space and tell me how, what I'm doing is aligned to that vision. So mm. it was super powerful. That's yeah. Great. And that is why we talk about at Novus Global, the firm that um, Melissa and I both coach within, uh, we talk about feedback as a gift and as uh, neutral data 
that helps you move towards your vision. And you can't know if the feedback you are giving or receiving is actually helpful towards your vision unless you know your vision. Uh, but we like to talk about feedback without a vision is just an opinion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Say that one again. <laughs> feedback without a vision is just your opinion. But once you're connected to someone's vision for their work, for their impact, for their life, for what they're going after, then you actually have a relevant gift to give them in feedback. Um, mm. and, and I like to say, please care about me and my vision enough to help me see where I'm getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Help me see where I'm throwing up roadblocks. Cause I'm telling you this vision is what I want. Now I want to be an inspiring leader, for instance, from Jess, she's, she's telling her team, this is what I want. And then she's saying, please offer me the gift of your feedback where I am not an inspiring leader yet. And then you're just partnering, you know, together mm. to go after something, mm. which I, I love that. Fun frame around, let me invite you into what I want. And then it takes some of that sting of feedback away because I've invited it and it's in relation to the things I'm hoping to get to. I love that. Jess, I want to, when we were working together, I know one of the things we talked about was this piece around feedback and you wanting to learn how to work with folks. And instead of coming in and saying, here are all of the things that may not be right to approach them in a different way. So Rubber hitting the road, curious how how you show up has changed, if at all, with your folks. And then if it has changed, what that looks like in terms of your culture. Absolutely. Um, our culture has definitely shifted. Be- I've always been a caring leader, um, but now I'm just human. I'm the same that they are because I've given my vision and I've put it out all on the table for them to see what my goal is. And then I have to live that out. And if I don't, it's totally fine for them to give me feedback that Mm -hmm. you really didn't show up today, Jess, and is everything okay? Or um, there's so many ways that we can gift that feedback. I've also changed um, from having expectations of people to having agreements, which is another word. <laughs> um, instead yeah. of yes. negative, <laughs> there's so it's. I just can't say enough things. I came into this with saying that confidence was what I was lacking, and mm-hmm. Melissa called my bullshit immediately. She's like, "I think that you're <laughs> a confident leader." I think immediately that you're a confident leader. I just didn't have the right tools, and I wasn't looking at things with just different glasses, we could say, um, I was very maybe closed minded. I wasn't looking at how I can empower my employees and myself to, to really give that feedback. We don't have to have expectations. Like I have all these expectations and I think you need to get this done and this done, but instead we sit down and I have an expectation of something, but that person has to agree with that expectation or have an agreement before I can expect them to get it done, right? So instead of expectations, I have an agreement with my one of my employees that this calendar will be out by October 1st. This employee knows that we've agreed, we've had a conversation and we've talked about it. And so we're not just like throwing stuff out there. We're having these one-on-one conversations and we're um we're growing together and not expectations, but agreements that things are going to get done. And it's just changed my world professionally, also personally, like it's <laughs> in so many different ways, but um, just being able to 
have that inspiring impact on my employees that I want. And they know that I'm not like some leader that's just going to tell them what to do. Like I sit down, I take time with them. I have one-on-one meetings with every employee. We talk about what their goals are for the week, what the visions are. And I know my organization is small, so it would be more like your direct reports in a larger organization that you can have this impact on them on a daily basis, right? And so my capacity to get things done um, has changed because I'm looking at everything different. Um, The environment that we're all working in is very leveled, right? We're all on the same level. We're all trying to impact our community in the same way. Um, And it's just been such a gift (laughs) um, to my organization and, and to me personally. That's so good. Uh, frustration and resentment are usually built out of expectations, right? I have something that I want from you that lives in my head and nowhere else. Um, <laughs> those are for a team, right? Those decrease mm-hmm. efficiency. Whereas agreements create efficiency because now we're both on the same page. We know how to address a broken agreement versus addressing a missed expectation, which is very ambiguous. So for me, when my clients come into a call feeling frustrated, um, especially with a coworker or um, feeling resentment, kind of the first two places I look are, do you have an agreement or do you just have an expectation? And then two, like, where is your ownership or how are you creating this experience you're having with the frustration and the resentment? So it sounds like you are doing that beautifully, Jess, and that it's having an impact on how much your team can get done. Thank you. There's no question about what, where we're going. There's no question about what our vision is. And if people don't want to get on board with that, they don't have to. And they don't like, I don't want it to sound negative, but if they don't feel like they can keep up with where we're going, then, you know, some people have given their resignation, but I know that I'm doing the best job possible to shoot that vision out there. And if, like you said, expectations are in their head, well, I expected you to do this, but no one ever got it out on the table. Right. And so if they clearly know what the vision is and where we're going and what the agreements are, there's no questioning. There's no, I mean, there can be mess ups and there we're all human, of course, but we're putting it all out there, very clear, very conscious about what we're doing and what I would like in the whole organization, where we're going and what we need to do to get there. So good. I know that one of the things that Jess um, had worked through in our coaching was looking at things with curiosity. You know, so if we invited curiosity into like, the assumptions that she was making, so of noticing where she was making assumptions, and she had like a whole two weeks. Well, on the daily, she had a, she set herself a task that was like, I'm going to notice my assumptions and I'm going to get curious. It was literally things she journal on every day. I think it was for like two weeks or something. And she noticed when she got curious, she could accept reality and then she could use the energy to consider what are new possibilities. So even the idea of like a someone who uh, submits her resignation, like not making an assumption about their fit, right? But noticing this really is not a good fit, no problem. Uh, where can we be curious? Is there someplace else in the organization for you a fit? Is this not the best place for you? But she could then approach it and use that energy in ways that explored capacity and possibilities. And I love that she went through that exercise. That saying that is just huge, like where your energy is being spent, um, me being able to be curious instead of immediately like assumptive, I was frustrated, like frustrated about this. I was frustrated about that. Like so many things would go round and round. But if I'm curious, um, 
I can have a conversation and curiosity instead of talking to that person with assumption. Um, curiosity comes across very much more calm, um, relatable, and just mm. trying to get to the bottom of why something happened. How come this happened? Um, not you did this and this is a very rough <laughs> um, answer back from your leader, right? And so um, the curiosity, I'm always curious about everything now. It has changed. I'm not exhausted. I'm not spinning my wheels all the time in frustration. It's changed the way I've looked at that. And I don't feel as burnt out and as exhausted on a regular basis. Hmm. Um, uh, I love hearing the the growth of your capacity. <laughs> That it was already there, right? I love how Melissa, you were sharing earlier about <laughs> capacity building is exploring what you're really capable of. What a brilliant way of looking at capacity. And and the reality is, is that your capacity, there is so much more that we're capable of that we don't even realize, but it's already there. Mm -hmm. We just had to strip away the layers and get a couple of tools, you know? Um, but I, I want to dig into a question around uh, around the pain of going into this space because and you've already mentioned a little bit, like you were afraid as an example. And I think the psychological barriers are real. Um, otherwise everybody would go down this path, right? <laughs> like, um, but the psychological barriers are real. And I'm curious, what are the pains or issues, even as you reflect on yourself, or even as you've noticed in, in other nonprofit leaders that are the barriers that are, that had blocked you perhaps from going and two, I, I mean, I'm guessing some more vulnerable spaces, some more deeper spaces of, of, of radical honesty with yourself. I mean, that's a lot of what I'm hearing through some of these conversations. So I'm curious, what are the pains and the issues that are facing nonprofit leaders from going there, right? From truly building their capacity, if you will. Absolutely. Um, at a very personal level, I would ask Melissa if she was actually in contact with my therapist, because the things that we were talking about on a on a weekly basis, I was like, wow. So it's not it's not just about your leadership. It's about you as a person, um, things that you struggle with, um, trauma from the past. A lot of those things can come up things that you feel uncomfortable or scared about in your personal can also it, it does it carries over into that professional leadership side. Um, Melissa asked me to get really honest with a lot of things, um, you know, and, and sometimes just why don't you just ask that person? What is so hard about just just being completely honest, you know, but it's scary for us sometimes to to feel that that way. And so it's important for us to be realistic. Like we cannot be good leaders without really introspect and look inside ourselves to see that um, we're just human. And we're only able to do so much, but there's, but there's also like, see beyond where you are right now, because you can go so far, you can go as far as you can imagine, and even farther. And she brought up these like, points of like, you know, what's your five year plan? Like, what are your goals? And so I laid out this wonderful life plan that I have for the next five years. And she goes, well, let's do that in a year. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no. <laughs> I just invited her to explore the possibility that it was she was capable of achieving it in a shorter time frame. <laughs> capable is the word that like we I, we I said I wasn't confident enough in my leadership, and she's like, well, I think that you're confident. I think that the capability of you seeing outside of that, and so being realistic with myself, and what are what are the barriers that are keeping me from being the best leader possible. And it is painful because I read lots of books. I listened to podcasts about integrity. 
and being in inside the box and outside of the box. There's so many tools that Melissa gave me. And if I had not dug in deep and read the books and listened to the podcasts and taken that time to really look deeply inside of me, how I show up, I wouldn't have had any changes with Mm. my executive coaching because there's so much good information that was shared with me, what she gave to me every time we met. And if I didn't do that work and it wasn't easy and it was painful and it was personal and um, it took time away from my family at times because I was reading books and listening to podcasts. But in the end, I became a much stronger um, and the confidence was already there, but I'd say more confident. Um, even my executive directors like, wow, I see it in you now, which is, mm. <laughs> it's always been there. I just never knew how to, um, how to show that, I guess it's a hard word to, to really fully embrace, um, that I know what I'm doing, that I'm confident that I'm strong and that, um, I can impact people on a daily basis. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I'd say one of the the tremendous strengths that uh, Jess brought into executive coaching was that she was so coachable. She was hungry for transformation. She was seeing what was working, what wasn't working in her life. And she said she was just ready. She was very hungry and ready to figure out, you know, when you hit that point as a leader where you're just banging your head against the wall and you cannot figure out why you cannot move forward. Um, this is the time to get an outside perspective. And this is exactly mm-hmm. where she was of what she wanted to do. She could not see her blind spots. None of us can see our own blind spots. Mm-hmm. And when she was talking about the confidence issue, when I was exploring that with her, we really talked about survival needs. And those are one of the places that people's mindset trips them up. And so we could explore that space through coaching. And that's when she's like, oh, this isn't a lack of confidence. This is actually it. And then she could pivot, but you cannot see what you cannot see. And that's why an outside perspective, like a mentor or coaching or someone to come alongside you and say, Hey, you seem frustrated. This doesn't seem to be working. What's working. What's not working. Let's explore that. And she was so, so hungry to explore that. And she was brave and she was really ready to dig into that. So I just applaud her bravery and her willingness to go those hard places because she did not balk at all. If I if I said, mm. hey, what about this? Would this be resourceful? She's like, yes, let's do it. So uh, shout out to her absolutely for her willingness to be vulnerable and brave. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised, right? Yeah, that's uh, amazing. And that was my experience with the nonprofit leaders that I worked with as well. They came in hungry for new tools for leadership development. You know, I've been thinking like, what is uh, the specific challenge around nonprofit burnout? versus for-profit burnout or nonprofit capacity building versus for-profit capacity building. Um, And something, our firm, Novus Global, has a new book out. It's called Beyond High Performance. And something it talks about is all the different ways that we tend to relate to work. And sometimes our relationship to work um, can, can shift into different spaces. You aren't one of these your whole life. You kind of rotate. But they're the prisoner mindset and people who are in the prisoner mindset work because they have to, right? Mm. I'm stuck here. I have to work. Uh, People in the mercenary mindset uh, work to live. So I'm going to punch a clock, get in, get out, and then I've got my life to live outside of work. That's a mercenary mindset. And then there's the missionary mindset, which is I work because I'm called to. And that's where I think you find a lot of nonprofit leaders, a lot of teachers, a lot of people who feel like their identity and their impact is really wrapped up in their work. And that's a little different. That's that's a little more specific 
of uh, a need to find that, um, that impact, that calling, that identity fulfilled within their work. And what we work on with our clients is exploring what it looks like to have an athlete mindset when it comes to work. So instead, it is work is practice. I work to grow in general, in life, as a leader, as a person. That's what I'm showing up as every day to do is to take another swing, uh, to, to grow in who I am and who I want to be ultimately. Mm. And so when I work with nonprofit leaders, I start to ask the question like, where can we um, honor the calling and the impact that you want to have, but also like take the pressure off of needing to be perfect and see that impact on a daily basis. And instead, we're really focusing on that development. How does work develop me? And that's sometimes that there, there's no investment in that for a lot of nonprofit leaders because they feel that the investment needs to be in the impact directly, right? But the missing yeah. link is the leader is the impact. <laughs> the leader has the most power to create the impact. Um, so that that that's what I thought was unique about you know working with nonprofit leaders versus for-profit leaders. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times the system of nonprofit organizations does that, right? It says, let's focus out here on the people we're helping instead of in here on the people who are working for us. And we have seen that a lot, right? And part of what we do at Thrive Impact is to help organizations say, if you want to make impact out here, there has to be impact you're making in here. And you can't disconnect the two. Um, and so I'm hearing you echo a similar thing. And it's an interesting, as you talk about those typologies, you know, we are also fans of the work of um, Lalu and his organizational transforming organizations. I don't know if you know of his work, but he's looking at typology of organizations from like the, you know, the, um, the army example over here on the red and hierarchical all the way over here to the organization as a living organism. And what I'm so excited to explore is the interconnection between how do we help leaders get in that mindset and how do we help organizations get in that mindset so that leaders aren't getting tools to reach a ceiling um, and that, you know, organizations aren't bringing in leaders to push them down. And how do we do those two things together? So I just, it's super exciting. That's great. So I'm curious, we've already spoken to some of this and I heard it, but I want to ask it as an explicit question. And, um, and, and Laura too, I know that you've coached another nonprofit leader or some others as part of this Thriver program too. And, you know, with some of the, all the pieces combined, the, the question I'm really curious about is what has been made possible because of this work, because of, uh, the Thrivers program holistically but also particularly the executive coaching component, because that's what we're really honing in on in this one, is what's been made possible. And so just from your perspective, what's been made possible for you to have gone through this capacity building process, which is the whole thing, and in particularly including the executive coaching, and uh, and particularly what's been made possible for you, what's been made possible for those that you're working with and how is that translating into what's made possible for the impact that you're, you're noticing to be able to see. And then Laura and Melissa would love to hear your perspective too, from that, from as the coach, uh, you know, with Melissa, with you, Jess and Laura, you with some of the other thrivers, um, what are you noticing is being now being made possible in the lives, uh, of them and the people they serve. So Jess would love to kick it off with you. Of what are you noticing is being made possible 
in you and your organization and in those that you're working with the kids, you know, who are needing to be on bikes. Absolutely. I'll start with the, the thrive impact and the impact that it had on me and our organization, the ability to, um, there were so many tools that were useful during that time that helped me build capacity, um, bringing the team together and collaboration. Like I was a fixer. And so I would skip all of the two, there's four steps. I would skip the two middle steps and I would just find the answer. And so slowing down and being able to bring collaboration in has really helped me with the Thrive Impact and created a community of these wonderful people that I met, um, Tucker and Sarah, and then all of the people that work in our program. Um, the tools that you guys gave to us during that time and the connection was um, huge for the impact in our community. And then part of that was also the executive coaching. Um, I don't feel burnt out as often. I can say being a leader in a nonprofit is sometimes there are just these moments that you're very burnt out. Yeah. But being able to be curious and slow down and take care of my employees, which Laura was talking about that, taking care of the inside, like we have an impact in our community, but do you know where that starts? That starts inside. And so taking care of my team, having those conversations and being able to create this, we have this fantastic team with a great atmosphere. Everyone gets along. Everyone feels heard. I hope they do because I, I want <laughs> that um, all the time. And then as we've done that, it shows, right? We show up to our community with still this atmosphere of positivity and feeling heard and wanting to impact them just as much as we're impacting inside of our small organization, we're taking that out into the community and it's double or triple because we have so much excitement and um, passion for what we do. And it shows if people didn't want to show up to work at Kids on Bikes, um, it would show to our customers. It would show to our program people. Um, we come out there full bore with excitement and passion. Like we jump around in the office excited about things every single day and celebrate the positive things happening here because it's so exciting. And that yeah. overflows into our community, that passion with our partnerships, with people that we connect with, with the kids that are earning the bikes, they see why we are here and they feel it on mm -hmm. a daily basis. Like we're here for you and we're here to change your life. And we do it one kid, one bike at a time. And people can see that. Yeah, that's great. Laura, Melissa, curious what you're noticing is being made possible through these experiences. I think one of the things that I notice, as particularly with working with nonprofits is the idea, the lens and assumption of how limited they are, limited in finances, limited in resources. And it's super interesting when I work with nonprofits to, to just ask that question, are we? Like, are we really limited in this capacity? And so when you start, when you, you don't keep the assumption that you're limited in that way, if you can take that story and set it aside, you can really sit in a, in a greater space of possibility. So that's one of the things I would say that you see, um, particularly with nonprofits, is just like when you start to have the assumptions around resource, get really curious, is that true? And the second thing I'd say, particularly for nonprofit leaders, is the idea around burnout. And sometimes we think, uh, to decrease burnout is to decrease tasks or to streamline your, your to-do list or to blah, whatever it is. But really there's also the element, and Jess and I talked about this in our coaching, is to increase the fun in your life. So where yes. in your organization can you increase fun? And I know, Jess, you had had the idea of like having staff meetings on bikes 
uh, and having like a Friday picnic. And so, so she is taking, I know, right? So she took that idea around how to protect her team from burnout by increasing the fun, even at work. So in your personal life and in your work life, there's two things you see um, a lot of times in nonprofits that could be really resourceful. That's great. I love that, Melissa. Thank you. Yeah, I love the question, um, what was made possible uh, in the coaching space? Um, something that we work with with our clients at the beginning when we're developing a vision is pushing that vision outside of what feels possible to them, right? What is possible and what is impossible is very arbitrary. It changes all the time. On any given day, we might think our goals are possible, and then the next day, we think they're impossible. Our feelings, circumstances, a lot dictates that idea yeah. of what is possible versus impossible. So we like to say, don't, don't hire a coach to reach a possible goal. Uh, you're bringing <laughs> <laughs> so true. You're bringing in so that you can aim for something that feels impossible and then give your brain the space to grow and be creative and spot what gets in the way as a result. Right. Mm -hmm. So, What's primarily made possible in the coaching space, in my experience with these leaders, is things that felt impossible feel possible. So you set a goal that's in the realm of impossibility, and then as you see that you have more resource than you thought that you did, um, when you get rid of mindsets that were getting in the way or shift them uh, into something more resourceful, all of a sudden that thing that was impossible moves closer. And there's so much energy available when that happens. Like it creates new energy and new resource to say, what else could we have that feels impossible right now that we want to run after? So for me, when my clients come into this, come into the coaching space and they say, hey, that, that outcome we set um, that I said was impossible in six months, we're in month three and I already know it's possible. I already know we're going to hit it. <laughs> that... I live, so yes, I love my I, job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that Laura, like I can see, like, um, we've always run at things, but, um, we're reaching it and we're continuing forward to the next goal and the next goal. And it doesn't feel like it's impossible anymore because of how we are, um, attacking it with confidence and knowing that we're doing the right thing. Um, we can do anything that we imagine we want to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, I want to close this out with a rapid round. And this is 30 seconds or less. You know, imagine a nonprofit leader. Jess, imagine yourself right, you know, right before Thriver started, uh, right before, you know, embarking into executive coaching. And, um, and same thing, Laura and Melissa, you thinking about that too, like, they're on the cusp. They're listening to this podcast. They feel a little glimmer of hope. <sighs> what is like a practical step other than like reach out and let's do something? Uh, what is, you know, what is a practical step that a nonprofit leader can take around, frankly, building their capacity? What is one thing that they can do? So you can think about it for a minute. You may be ready to go. Uh, we always like to give people pause and reflection if you need it. Um, but what is one practical step a nonprofit leader can take to start to build their capacity? I think for, for anybody, but for a nonprofit leader, I think getting really clear about your vision. We talk about vision reality gap, and this is the primary tool we use in coaching space. So get really clear. If you're floundering around and feeling frustrated, it's like, is it possible you're not clear on where you're going? 
the clarity of a vision and where you're actually headed is one of the most powerful centering grounding tools that you can do. So for you to be clear where you're going, for your organization to be clear where you're going, get very, very crystal, crystal clear about what your vision is as an organization. That's great. I'm going to second what Melissa said. I know it sounds crazy, but um, it's changed our organization. It's changed my world. It's changed my staff's world. You're clear on where you're going. Nothing's going to stop you. So get clear with that. And um, there's endless possibilities once you get to that point. That's great. Jess, thanks. Yeah. And I love the idea that, that was touched on earlier of how can I shift from a mindset that assumes that my resources are limited to one that assumes my resources are abundant and available um, and, and I'm on the lookout for them. Um, we talk about how a leader's greatest challenges are usually that they are underestimating what they are capable of and that they are underestimating what their teams are capable of. And I believe that you know, fundamentally going into a coaching space, this leader in front of me is underestimating what they are capable of. And so I might just sit with that question for a minute yes. and, and ask yourself, how am I underestimating <laughs> myself? How am I underestimating my team? And of course, hire a coach. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. no, get help. Yeah. When you get clear on the vision, right, then you can see what the gap is. And that's where that's where the help and the support comes along. Once you're clear what you're going, then you, you're not you're not saying they're going like I don't know what to do because you do know what to do because you yeah. know where you're going, and so you can mm -hmm. you can uh, shed the things that don't align with the vision, and you don't have to worry about all the things that don't align with the vision. So it's very it, it's very resource rich for you to just get clear, um, and then yeah. you can see what's in the gap. So yeah, and Jess, yes, looking at you, someone who's underestimating their capacity, of course, every human is. <laughs> This is reminding me of two of our favorite quotes. One is Brene Brown, clear is kind. And my favorite part yeah. is unclear is unkind, not just mm. that clear is kind. And secondly, mm -hmm. we just got off of a strategy workshop and we use a frame called the impact pyramid. And the goal is to align programs to impact to vision. And sometimes it's not just that there's a gap, but that we're doing things that are shooting out from programs, right? Aren't aligning to impact, which ultimately aren't aligning with the vision we want to see. And yes. so we like to say our no's give power to our most important yeses. And yes. if we okay. keep saying yes, we just can't double down on the things that make us most unique and valuable. So yeah. I love that this has come to just your life and your world at Kids on Bikes to help you all focus on that vision and then double down on making it happen. So good. So good. Well, hey, um, Melissa, Laura, I know you mentioned a book. We'd love to put the link to that in the podcast show notes um, and any other resources that came up um, that we can put it. There you go. There you go, Laura. Um, she just put a picture of the book, uh, but we'll put a link to that and any other resources that you feel like might be relevant for uh, for our listeners to be able to take a look at, explore. Um, but thank you all, Laura, Jess, Melissa. Thank you for being on uh, and sharing about your learning through this journey. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there are pains and issues and challenges and a lot of these psychological pressures that, uh, that when we can go through a path of, uh, just you having the hunger that you had and the courage that it, it takes courage because it's vulnerable. <laughs> it is vulnerable, which takes courage. And so yeah. I just want to appreciate you just for, for your courage. Um, and it, cause it takes a lot of courage right now to be a nonprofit leader and to step into these spaces. Um, but I can already, I mean, I can tell that what is being made possible is the impact that you're wanting to have in the world is actually happening. 
um, is continuing and to grow probably beyond ways that you even realize could happen. So thank you all for being on this. Sarah, thank you for co-hosting as usual. And uh, we'll see everybody or maybe hear everybody or we'll see you on the next episode. That's what will happen. Thanks for listening in and talk soon. Thanks, y'all.